Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogonia Saturdays. I apologize for the delay. We had technical issues with TalkShoe that were so severe that we decided to scrap broadcasting the TalkShoe on the program on TalkShoe. We like to simulcast these programs on our four Christogonia servers and TalkShoe at the same time. We do not want to abandon our TalkShoe presence. However, technical difficulties have made it quite difficult to stay there lately. Tonight, we have the pleasure of having Pastor Mark Downey and a discussion based on his latest four-part sermon entitled, actually it's four sermons, entitled Dissident Racism. Each of the four sermons have their own subtitle and may be read or heard in their entirety at Mark's Kinsman Redeemer website. We will post the appropriate links with this podcast. This evening, we hope to discuss Mark's first two segments, illustrate the high points, and perhaps discuss each of them, which are subtitles in a crowded theater and above the fruited plain. And the content of Mark's discussion may make evident the reasons for those titles. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining us. Evening, Bill. Good to be with you again. Praise Yahweh. Thank you. It, it's all yours. You, you may want to offer a prayer. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's your custom. Yes, I would like to open with a prayer. Um, our Father in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity uh, to represent your word and uh, grateful that once again we may bring forward the truth of the racial message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray that Brother Bill and myself will make a good presentation refuting and rebuking the uh, enemy stereotypes of racial nonconformists such as ourselves as we will also illustrate the integrity of your creation of kind after kind, which is the divine orientation of race. May our message be a blessing to the recipients of your plan for the ages, your chosen race, Israel, to the exclusion of all other races upon the face of the earth. We pray these things in the authority of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise Christ. Each one of the sermons delivered at the Fellowship of God's Covenant People is prefaced by a scripture reading. And these, of course, are no different. Tonight's program should therefore begin with a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But I may read just a little more than Mark had originally requested. I will read from verse 11. For no man, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Mark's original reading of verses 12 and 13 accentuated the positive side of Paul's discourse. We read a little further because Mark's article elucidates the other edge of the sword as well, that we, as true Christians, know that the world will not accept what we say and therefore will look for ways to silence us. Well, that's right, and um, uh, we'll be touching on uh, these verses uh, again later on. And um, but uh, before I start, I, um, I I received an email today, and it was so good. Uh, it's a joke, <laughs> and uh, I thought that I would uh, share it with the listening audience this evening. Uh, because it is somewhat relevant to uh, what we're going to be talking about. And uh, this was a, um, it, it's a true story, I assume, uh, in Florida, uh, right in your own backyard, uh, there was an atheist uh, that had this beef against Easter and, and the uh, Passover holidays. So he hired an attorney to bring a discrimination case against Christians and Jews and their observances of these holy days. Well, the argument was that it was unfair that atheists had no such recognized days. Well, the case was brought before a judge. And after listening to the passionate presentation by the lawyer, the judge banged his gavel declaring case dismissed. Well, the lawyer immediately stood up objecting to the ruling, saying, Your Honor, how can you possibly dismiss this case? The Christians have Christmas, Easter, and others. The Jews have Passover, Yom Kippur, and Hanukkah. Yet my client and all other atheists have no such holidays. Well, the judge leaned forward in his chair saying, But you do. Your client counselor is woefully ignorant the lawyer said your honor we are unaware of any special observance or holiday for atheists and the judge said the calendar says april 1st is april fool's day psalms 14 1 states the fool says in his heart there is no god thus it is the opinion of this court that if your client says there is no God, then he is a fool. Therefore, April 1st is his day. Court adjourned. Well, that's the truth. It just reflects truth. It's it's a truth that um, I don't think too many judges would stand for in reality, though. Not anymore. I just had to share this joke because... Uh, atheists and agnostics and secular humanists share the same mental disorder of universalist and integrationist and race mixers uh, in and out of the church, and that is an extreme ignorance about the word of God. And the last thing any of these fools would want to be called is a racist. 
Some would rather be dead than to be called that. But little do they realize that they are already spiritually dead or comatose from years of politically correctness being pounded into their little heads. We will be exploring bits and pieces of, um, of my uh, recent sermon notes. But uh, race today, it really is a big bugaboo. And so we, we must talk openly and frankly about race uh, because the distortions of race are killing us. And race is the fundamental problem and answer to resolving the social construct for our people. It's the dissolution of civilization and race isn't so apparent to most people. However, uh, other humanoids, <laughs> if we can call them that, are very aware of race. Uh, with the, uh, for example, the recent phenomenon of Black Lives Matter. Well, everybody's heard that in real estate, you know, it's against the law to say anything that may sound like discrimination. So in today's world of political correctness, you almost have to speak in a cloaked language. Well, we can freely talk about the weather and the economy and sports, but we really seem to uh, be quite reluctant to talk about race. Uh, I'll tell you, other races aren't as inhibited, but for some reason, white people seem to be paralyzed, even privately. It's just such a, a taboo subject. And there's many reasons, but perhaps the most prevalent is that uh, we don't want anything getting in, anybody getting the wrong impression uh, that we're not tolerant and, and fair people, or God forbid that we're racist or uh, white supremacist. Uh, the other side of the coin, is that um, white guilt, uh, which is also now being translated into a movement called white privilege, uh, has infiltrated down to um, school-age children to make them feel guilty for just being white. Well, this guilt leads to a uh, self-hate for their own race. You know, who wants to talk about race under those circumstances? And the other obstacle to talking about race is that, uh, gosh, so many families are connected in some way uh, with a race mixer. Uh, it's that personal attachment, somebody in your family or next door or a relative that keeps us talking about anything and everything but race. Well, we're going to have to talk about it. Uh, we're going to have to throw off the shackles because we don't start the discussion and start challenging the false presumptions about race 
unless we want to keep sliding down the slippery slope of tolerance and diversity. So tonight, let's ask the pointed questions and search out the answers that can only be derived um, from a Christian identity perspective. Uh, we face almost an insurmountable situation today, which can only be addressed and rectified by the racism of God himself. Uh, I use quite frequently uh, an article by Arnold Kennedy. Uh, it's uh, called This is Racist. And all he does is simply quote, I think it's some 45 quotes quoting uh, God throughout mostly the uh, Old Testament, which are obviously racist comments. So uh, God has blessed us with language and how to communicate. It's how he communicates with us. So we have to ask the question, do we know where our right to free speech or free expression comes from. Can you imagine living in a society where your every thought and spoken word must be checked and filtered before it comes out of your mouth and somebody hears what's on your mind? Somebody might respond by saying, in America, you can say anything you want, except you can't shout fire in a crowded theater. And that's what prompted my uh, my first message, dissident racism in a crowded theater. Or, or perhaps even in a church that doesn't necessarily have to be crowded. Well, this was never the intent of our founding fathers. And uh, in my research, I found that it was affected by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Uh, in a 1919 decision to uphold the sentencing of a prominent socialist for the crime of distributing anti-draft pamphlets uh, against World War I. The defendant was a Yiddish-speaking Jew, uh, Charles Schenk. However, Holmes actually said falsely shouting fire, which emphasized that speech, which is false and dangerous, is not protected in contradistinction to speech, which was truthful and dangerous. The word falsely was dropped from the meme. In essence, the shouting fire in a crowded theater ruling severely mitigated the scope of the First Amendment right to free speech. The shouting was having a dissenting opinion, and the crowded theater was America. Holmes began to doubt his earlier decision and had a change of heart in the uh, Abrams versus United States case. The defendant, Jacob Abrams, another Jew, uh, who was an anarchist, uh, who was deported for opposing any American intervention in the Bolshevik Revolution. Now, if this wasn't Marxist dialectics, then these two Jews must have been the comedians and the joke is on free speech or the progressive limitations on future white Christian rhetoric in terms of Orwellian 
do speak, which would be punishable by law. Well, what saith scripture? The first thing we should understand is that the incarnate God, the word made flesh, was crucified on the cross because the Lord was not inhibited by the traditions or edicts of man to speak what others may or may not hate to hear. In Titus 2, 7 and 8, we read, Concerning all things, present yourself as a model of good works, teaching without corruption, reverence. Here's the main one. Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the adversary may be ashamed, having nothing evil say about you. The opponents of Christ then and now, however, cast aspersions of shame upon Christians without cause for the most part. Uh, the lesser part, those who assert a representation of the ecclesia and feed the sheep, the body of Christ, with unhealthy substance, the junk food of religion, must be condemned, should be put to shame. But we live in a shameless society because there's this war of words. At best, there spews from the pulpits an impunity of lukewarm, homogenized milk, and at worst, a prostitution of a pious priestcraft surfeiting on rattlesnake meat that makes God's word of none effect. Well, well, you know, the shouting, the shouting fire decision, it seems to me that the only way that decision could mitigate the scope of the First Amendment is because people accept that the revisionist or the media spin over what the decision actually meant. I mean, if, okay, if you shout fire in a crowded theater falsely, you're immediately putting people's lives in danger, right? And it's a false report. But it seems to me that the way the Holmes decision is reported is also false. To deceive people into thinking that certain types of true speech can be banned by the government, when in fact the decision doesn't at all ban true speech, as you pointed out. Yes, it really is a rather superficial soundbite. Uh, that really needs to have the dust knocked off it. And and we know the history of how um, it was slightly changed uh, uh, without many people taking notice. Well, it, all it right. was just casually accepted. Right. It's not the decision, I don't think, that mitigated free speech. It's the spin. It's the yeah. perception over what the decision meant. And the perception is a lie propagated by the same media that, that's run by the same people that would want to remove our free speech. Isaiah yeah. chapter 29 is one of my one of my favorite passages in scripture is Isaiah chapter 29 verses 20 and 21 because it, it's speaking of those people precisely. It's an imprecation against anyone who would prevent godly people from advocating for the law of God 
against the desires of sinners. And from verse 20, it says, for the ruthless, and I'm reading from the um, New American Standard Bible, simply because with many Old Testament passages, it's a lot clearer, and, and the meaning is a lot clearer. For the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off, who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. And, and that's what they do. They ensnare the, the people in the ancient kingdom of, of Israel. And, and this was typical. It, it was the practice in ancient cities in the east, but in the um, in Greece, the judges sat in the markets, but the markets were often near the city gates. And in the east, the judges sat at the main gates of a city, and that's where cases were heard. That's where the magistrates of the city sat, and, and that they would hear any case that was brought to them, that was their duty. And, and where it says that the scorners who would cause a person to be indicted by a word and snare him who adjudicates at the gate. They're talking about those people who, who stand up for the law and stand up for righteousness becoming ensnared by the wicked. That's what it means. And, and that's what happens all the time now in our society. When we actually stand up for what is right, we get cut down by the quote unquote, by the system but by the people that really sought to undermine our society and have now gained control over it. Well, it really is amazing how uh, the adversaries of our race and faith uh, have become such deceptive masters of, uh, of rhetoric. And uh, I think uh, it, it goes over the heads of most white people what's being done to them. Uh, I think you'll agree, Bill, that our founding fathers believed that our race had certain inalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, from which we derive a freedom of speech and expression. But it was always within the context of the white race and Christianity. Our, our rights come from God. And God-given rights are non-negotiable. Uh, the idea of a, uh, some uh, black loudmouth like Al Sharpton and an Africanized church would have been laughable and not even a consideration of their intent. And Jefferson spoke on these rights as having been endowed to us by our creator, understanding that liberty is inherent and postulated that governments are instituted in order to allow man, white man, we the people, the governed, to pursue those rights and to do so freely. If we've lost it, shame on us. Liberty and the consent of the governed were imperative for government to be benevolent and efficient. When you give up your rights, you can expect just the opposite. 
We, we were created by God to serve him, to know him, and to be happy in him for eternity. The ultimate freedom is found in belonging to Christ. Quote, now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. In the body politic, we are compelled to prove all things and hold on to that which is good. Speaking the truth in love is a biblical mandate, but it's not the sloppy agape of churchianity. It's the love of 1 John 5, 3, which says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Therefore, any government that guarantees us the right to speak the truth is in alignment with biblical principles. The United States government incorporated all capital letters today is out of order with God. And that is why I bring forth this message of dissident racism to stand our ground in the authority of Jesus Christ, come what may. Any law of the beast that suppresses white Christian America is against God. Despite the law of God and the principles of our founding fathers, the clear racial message of scriptures are now considered hate speech in the Babylonian world of political correctness. Quote, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, well I wrote on, on, in an article a long time ago. I don't remember what article it was. It may have been my um, – it may have been – the series I did on the Christian Foundation of America, it may have been something else. If a man believes that his rights are endowed by God, as the founders of this nation recognized, then man understands that those rights are inalienable. If man believes that his morals are passed down from God, as the founders of this nation also recognized, then man believes that those morals are immutable. They cannot change. What's good is always good. What's bad is always bad. But man has allowed these devils to litigate God out of our society. So now we have no rights and no morals. It's that simple. If you believe that your rights come from government, that then you're always going to be at the mercy of tyrants. That's the natural order of things. That's just the way it is. There's no getting around that. There's no avoiding that. I don't know what it what what happened in in this nation, the the dynamics in in this nation, in in daily polity between um, 1780 and say 1860, but within those 80 years, all of these ideals of the Bill of Rights and, and the, the Declaration of Independence were lost in that time. They were all gone. 
they were all gone by 1860. They were only given lip service by 1860. People like to uh, think that things have been screwed up only recently, that this nation, as it was founded, only lasted 70, 80 years. It was an experiment that was destined to fail because it was based on, uh, I believe it was based on a compromise. And it, it eventually had to fail, but in the overall scheme of things, that also is the plan of God because, as Thomas Paine said, America has no king because the law of God is king. Until we realize that only Christ can be king, anything that we try to do is going to fail. Well, halfway between that time period, um, uh, the enemy was actively trying to intervene in in the Christian affairs of America. Even Andrew Jackson uh, was well aware. Uh, he, he said, I know you are a den of vipers, <laughs> and by the grace of God, I will rout you out, you den of vipers. Well, well right. And, uh, I, I really do believe, I'm sorry, I really do believe that the American Civil War is a direct result of um, Rothschild agitation after Andrew Jan Jackson had thrown the bankers out of Washington. Does that mean that Andrew Jackson did bad? Certainly not. Andrew Jackson did very good, but the men who followed him were not diligent enough to see that the infiltration and the sources of the agitation towards the war. Well, in his defense of, um, of Christian America, there, there was an assassination attempt against him. Yes. And uh, it failed because of the gun jammed. I think that might have been a little uh, divine intervention there. <laughs> well. But um, I have no guilt concerning the exclusivity of our own uh, community in Christian identity with the racial message. And shame on those hypocrites who revile the racism that it's a divine mechanism for survival in this wicked world to overcome any kind of genocide the enemy can dream of. But we refuse to bow down to the small g gods of multiculturalism and will express the reasons why. We will condemn the deviant perversions of modern Sodom and Gomorrah because God wants us to obey him and to be a light unto the world. If the darkness of strange gods motivates the Antichrist to hate us, to legislate crimes for the purpose of imprisoning or murdering us, then let them try to defy the God of Elijah who baptized them permanently at the brook Kishon. And uh, I got to love the last part of the Old Testament in Malachi there, one of the, the last uh, verses in chapter five, I think it is, where that spirit of Elijah is going to be coming back to our people. And it will be demonstrating the power of God over 
these adversaries. And I think it will motivate our people back into uh, the dissident racism that we belong. Well, well, that's um, Malachi chapter four is actually the last chapter that the, um, four, okay. the spirit of Elijah that turns the hearts of the fathers to the children and, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. That that can only be Christian identity. That can only be a realization of the racial underpinnings and the racial message of scripture. Uh, I can't imagine what else that could be. Well, which is why we must speak. Ephesians 6.20 says, That of which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak it with boldness, as it's necessary for me to speak it. But in this uh, wicked world, be aware that God never promises that we will always be free to speak without consequences. Indeed, quote, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. We have to ask why. Well, when, when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Acts 3.26 if we are right with God, we have the right of expression. For I am not ashamed of the good news, because it's the power of God for the life of all who believe in it. Romans 1.16. All, of course, means all of his people, not all of the humanoids upon the face of the earth. Well, well uh, the, the Apostle Peter speaks of the trial of our faith. And that trial is found in our challenge to keep the commandments of God in spite of the whims of the world. If we do not suffer for our faith in one way or another, then it's real simple. We are not walking the walk. We are not meeting that challenge. There's no way that you could walk the walk and, and not suffer something from this evil world. Now, that suffering does not necessarily have to be in, in harm to our persons, but there are many attractions in the world which Christians must bypass. And if we engage in them, then we are not going to be found keeping the commandments of Christ. And that could range from an acceptance of, of, of race mixing all the way down to the obvious sins like gambling how can you be a gambler and, and not be covetous? How can you have season tickets to some sporting event and not be an idolater? Forsaking these worldly pleasures, they're only the first steps in walking the walk. But if Christians don't suffer in some way in the flesh, then they're certainly not walking the walk. Well, um, vigilance really is eternal. Um, we uh, when we fall short of uh, of being vigilant, um, uh, that opens the door for the enemy to come in through that gate that you mentioned earlier, and uh, and have their voices heard. Uh, the modern equivalent would be in our courts, but they've even 
distorted the word um, vigilance uh, into vigilantes. Uh, and as if we're taking the law into our own hands. Well, God has put the law in our hands. Uh, it's not that we go out there and do something crazy. Uh, it's vigilance uh, that we must maintain at all times. The, the moment we drop the ball uh, is the opportunity that the enemy is looking for to walk through the gates and, well, and have, have their, uh, and have their presence. What we have dropped the ball, and and that mindset that you just that that you just described, is one of the um, key motivators for most of our people dropping any sense of civic responsibility whatsoever. Is because that's not my job. That's the cop's job to do that. Well, the cops never come when you call them. That's not my job. That's that that job belongs to this agency or to that agency or to that agency. And all those agencies uh, are controlled by the bureaucracy and they'll only enforce the laws that the bureaucracy wants them to enforce. So, so that, that false sense of, um, of comfort and, and the false idea that the government would keep your peace and would keep your security has what led people to abrogate their civic authority, that their civic responsibility altogether. That the um, North American Standard Bible renders Jeremiah eight eleven quite well, where it says, "And they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, meaning the rulers of Jerusalem, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace." The ancient Greek historian Thucydides had lamented that his fellow Athenians had sacrificed their liberty in exchange for peace and security. This is an age-old problem with our people. It is the deceit of tyrants to get people to do so. And the American Republic fell into that trap in a few short decades, sacrificing God-given rights for an artificial and vain promise of peace. We do it all the time today. Oh, we'll give up our guns if another child doesn't get shot in the schools. And if we give up our guns, all our children might get shot in the schools. Right. I think it was Benjamin Franklin, if I recollect, um, and may paraphrase, he said something like when... We surrender our liberties, uh, which would include our right to free speech, uh, our right to be vigilant. Uh, he said the people no longer deserve the safe peace and safety or security uh, because they essentially surrendered it. Well, well, it's this mentality point. which you're talking about is that somebody else will do it for me. And and that's uh, that works against us because it, it no longer uh, gives us 
the responsibility uh, with any right always goes responsibilities. That's the um, that's the point that our nation's been at. We've been at that point for probably a hundred years. But our uh, our founding fathers understood it quite well, as uh, Franklin uh, said. They, they deserve neither. Uh, if if they surrender, surrender is waving a white flag. <laughs> I wonder if most people know that their thoughts and their words are under divine control. If they want to be a liar and a slanderer then that's of their own doing. But if you're going to represent God, it's the Lord's doing. We all, at one time or another, suffer from foot and mouth disease, but we have the grace of God to seek forgiveness. From Proverbs 16.1, we learn that the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And uh, that kind of reverberates with our opening uh, scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, tonight. But it's a spiritual compass that gives us the direction. And to have the mind of Christ, we also must suffer the death of our carnal nature. Well, the Bible calls it the old man because we're becoming a new man in Christ. Quote, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Second Corinthians 5.17. In other words, we cannot belong to Christ unless he is the pilot, the potter, the great shepherd and many more other examples to that effect. When we surrender the illusion of free will, not choice, we will speak freely. And our founding fathers understood this concept and is why they incorporated it into the First Amendment. Well, well, I have a few comments, Mark. I'm sorry, but you're, you're getting way ahead of me here. That the... Um... Yeah, you said that, that, that your thoughts and your words are under divine control, and I, I can't um, I, I can't disagree with that totally. But this can be looked at in another way. If we do not love our God, our God, and 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 you had said that if you want to be a liar and a slanderer, then that's of your own doing. And, and I agree with that, but but I just ha have a different way of forming the, the thoughts and the opinions. If we do not love our God, he gives us up to our own passions. That's the lesson Paul presents in, in Romans chapter one. But if we do love our God, we seek to know and love his law and the spirit with which we have from him operates within us for good. Um, free will what we believe that we have free will and we do but we don't because god knows every every single decision that we're going to make god knows in advance so in a way we don't have free will but he lets us make the choices 
And I believe that when we make the choices, it's us that are re that's responsible for the sin and not and not God, because we agreed to that sin when we made that choice. And, and that's a thin line that I think that the people that blame God for all the sin in the world, they trip over that. And, and they're simply not correct about that. But when David sinned, he 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 begged mercy for, from God because he chose to sin. So even though God knew he was going to sin and David really had no choice, when the time came to sin, David agreed to it. And for that reason, David owns the sin and not God. That That's a, um, a philosophical point that James Brueggemann and, and a lot of other people that blame God for all the sin in the world fail to understand. Well, I think we're on the same page. Uh, it it depends whose side you're on. If if you're on your own side of self, um, that's different than being on God's side, uh, because God will give a person over to their own devices, um, and and He will put the words of righteousness in a man's mouth through. Uh, studying his word so it's not really us speaking it's something that's already established but we have to study and um, be familiar with God's thoughts because as he says his thoughts and ways are not ours um, you, you had said um, you, you had quoted Proverbs 16 the preparations of the heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord that's why James in his lone epistle emphasizes the need to bridle the tongue and he also tries to describe the extent of the trouble that we may cause if we do not bridle the tongue and and of course James was referring to wicked speech and and not to good speech because um judging and reproaching by the law of, of Yahweh is never that that can't be that cannot be wicked under any circumstances to have the mind of Christ we must also suffer the death of our carnal nature and, and of course that's true and, and the the quote from 1 Corinthians 5:17 it is relevant you know a, a lot of people don't understand the difference between um possessing material and seeking the possession of material wealth if we suffer the death of our carnal nature we may still possess material and not be necessarily materialistic and, and we may still enjoy certain activities with our brethren and not necessarily be worldly the important thing is that when we um but when we suffer the death of our carnal nature when we put the flesh to death we are no longer attached to the worldly things because the worldly things by themselves are not our purpose we can still possess something but we don't necessarily have to be attached to our possession of it people that seek possessions and material wealth often attain their sense of achievement their self-esteem from the possession of the material wealth so they're basically committing idolatry 
our purpose is the fulfillment of our God-given mission. And we do these other things, such as possess possessions and, and enjoy certain activities with our brethren. We do those things with that goal in mind and, and with that purpose because we work to establish the kingdom of God on earth. With the purpose of establishing the kingdom of God, of course, we keep the commandments of the kingdom, no matter the activity in which we are engaged. So Paul says that Christians are to engage in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So it's not that the um, possession of material, that the engagement in worldly duties, what we could still do many of those things if we don't if we do them for the correct purposes of, of building the kingdom of God and not for the purposes of enriching or entertaining ourselves. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a passage. I can't recall where it is exactly in the New Testament, but it says something like, um, he who has shall be given more and he who has not shall be taken away. Right. Uh, it's, it's not uh, talking about a, a name it and claim it type of um, uh, ac acquisition of uh, material things. It's it's the person, the believer that uh, seeks uh, spiritual understanding, and and God will lavish that understanding upon him if his the intents of his heart are correct, but. It makes sense that those that could care less, why would God give them anything? You know? Absolutely. <laughs> but after years of uh, the spiritual erosion, the um, inalienable and exclusive rights of free speech and expression have been taken away from Christians and given to the dogs willfully corroding the history of our founders is a sign of a culture's impending doom. And I think if you have eyes to see, you can see that today, right here in our own country. If people could retain a clear knowledge of the foundations of our freedoms, soaked in the blood of stout white men, then we might possibly discover the keys to preserving them. Free speech is critical when the sheep or the sheepfold is under siege and a minority opinions taboo or not universally believed. In a startling Supreme Court ruling, even though free speech, let alone dissident speech, has been butchered by judicial fiat throughout our history to exercise an arbitrary court order into action. That citation is uh, U.S. Code 18875C, is a law that now, quote, makes it a federal crime to transmit in interstate or foreign commerce any communication containing any threat to injure the person of another, end quote. In other words, you can spend five years in prison 
if you yell fire in a crowded theater, not if you falsely yell fire. And, and you know, we, sh we should be able to shout fire in a crowded theater if there are encroaching flames and not be prosecuted by manipulative public servants. Just anecdotally, my wife and I bought a car recently and I got a postcard uh, that sounded like it was coming from the car manufacturer, which said vehicle alert notice and that our particular car's warranty was about to expire. Well, that didn't make too much sense to me. There was no address, only an 800 number. So I Googled the number and I found out it was a scam. But what was revealing was at the website, which was kind of a, a consumer reports website, in the uh, comment section, you had all these people who got burned. And one commentator that couldn't say enough good things about the company. <laughs> and this in turn infuriated the victims and provided even more details to convince anyone that the company was bogus. Now, I only mention this to say that Jews have no reservation in lying through their teeth to deny an exposition of their dirty deeds. Uh, it takes a dissident racist to have the nerve to expose their lies. The Bible calls them watchmen. And they warn their kindred of snares, thistles, and thorns that are not of our race and wish to do them harm. Well, well these scams, let me talk about these scams a second. Sure. You, you buy an automobile or you lease an automobile, and all of a sudden, you get a deluge of mail. I do. I've had a deluge of mail. I didn't when I bought my van in 2012 in New York. I didn't get anything from any of these companies. But when we leased a car for Melissa in um, 2013 in Virginia, we received a, a steady deluge of mail, uh, I mean, sometimes two or three in a week for several months, asking us what, what this really, it, it wasn't asking us anything. It was this really official looking envelope, looked like it came from the IRS or something, had a warning stamped on the front uh, about, um, ab about abusing mail from the post office or mistreating it, that, that it's punishable by law and this and that. It looked really official that this notice and when I opened it up, it was basically a bill for, for um, a car warranty that I never purchased. So I tossed it and I got another one and another one. And I got many of them for that for that car we leased for Melissa. And, and now we come to Florida and we purchase a vehicle. And I've had a deluge of mail of the same type. These very official looking mailings that feed on people's fear of official looking documents trying to trick them into writing a check for the cost of this automobile warranty that they would have never bought because it is a scam. And this, this should be demonstrative of the fact that the government and the merchants are in bed with one another. The laws well, are about, big. The laws of government about, 
are, are all rigged for, for the benefit of the merchants and to hell with the people, to hell with all of these um, older people that, that do fear government and have respect for government. And they get these official looking notices from, from this company that's just running an insurance scam, a warranty scam, and, and they send them checks. Yeah, well, well, think about. Uh, I mean, there's there's a predator industry just on the elderly. Well, well uh, right. This, these companies, this predator industry, has to be getting its information about vehicle sales from the state motor vehicle departments. Exactly. They can't get otherwise, it anywhere else. Uh, otherwise, there's no way that I, they would know that I leased this car in Virginia, that I bought a car a couple of years later in Florida. They should not know these things. Well, think about the person that gets ripped off. I mean, really good. And uh, uh, some people may just resign the fact, well, I was I was foolish. But there's other people that are real go-getters and they have compassion uh, for other people maybe suffering what they did. And so they're compelled to yell fire in a crowded theater. And I only mention this is because uh, our crowded theater is America, like I said earlier, and it's it's burning. The blacks are saying, burn, baby, burn. And uh, along with it goes looting and rioting. And if nobody says anything, because they might be called a racist, is exactly why we need dissident racism in America now more than ever. The scams uh, with motor vehicles is just symbolic of the racial problem that we're looking at today. It's basically the same thing. But we have a... Um, an antichrist political system of just abject corruption and greed and hedonism that no longer represents white Christian America, but only themselves and the trickle-down economy of parasites feeding at the federal pig pen. Again, Benjamin Franklin said, when the people find that they can vote themselves money that will herald the end of the republic of the republic and thomas jefferson likewise said the democracy will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not and he also said a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take away everything you have now as I research these quotes, uh, both are allegedly spurious, but both speak a truth regardless of who said it. It's the same way with uh, your uh, series on the protocols, Bill, uh, where uh, the Jews are uh, uh, Consummate deniers every time they're caught red-handed with their hand in the cookie jar. 
and uh, and, and they will uh, fight every accusation tooth and nail uh, to vindicate their guilt. And uh, this is just uh, something that is inherent within their psyche. Uh, that's what Jews do. And, uh, and this is what they have been doing. Uh, years ago, there was a former congressman, uh, Paul Findlay, and he wrote a book called They Dared to Speak Out, in which he documents the biggest campaign lobby that throws money around like candy, and that's APAC, the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And they can make or break a politician with the power of their purse, who are able to suppress free debate, free speech. The, the Jew is hell-bent on crushing any dissident voices that dare to speak about them with historical facts. Who, who in Congress, can we say today, is not bought and sold by the Jew like a slab of meat? <laughs> uh, it's those brave souls who refuse to prostitute themselves for 30 pieces of silver are either maligned during a campaign or even sometimes killed. The obeisance is seen so often with these traitors having a photo op at the wailing wall wearing a yarmulke. But they get a free pass from their own constituents who themselves live their lives with an invisible muzzle. I can't, for years I've been emphasizing the words of Karl Marx. He said, take away the heritage of a people and they are easily persuaded. Well, in order to take away our heritage, the enemy must sell a lie as if it's the truth. Not only that, but then have your intended target promulgate and defend the lie with their lives or their sons and daughters in their wars or what have you. Why Christian Americans should never be seduced into thinking that Babylon is the way, the truth, and the life. But many have been deceived because by way of deception, these Babylonians shall wage war against us by their sorceries or medications. We're quite the medicated country these days, both physical and spiritual. Shall the nations be deceived to follow the witchcraft of rebellion? People are in rebellion to God today because they're believing the word of a Jew over God. Our people are heavily medicated for a lack of substance. The less we know about what's going on in the world, the less we are able to come out of Babylon. The medication comes from the poison pulpits, the poison politicians, the poison media, the media horrors, the poisoned academicians, each of whom turn the truth of God into a lie and worship the creature more than the creator. This is Judaism deciding what is right or wrong. 
And this is coming from the descendants of those Jews who killed Christ and would do it all over again today, but vicariously do it to his followers because they're counting us as the sheep for slaughter. Well, well, in, in the age of enlightenment, we not only rejected the Pope, we ended up rejecting God in our newly gained freedom. Rejecting God, it is inevitable that we would be ruled over by the collective Satan. So here we are. Christians are only guaranteed liberty in Christ, but that does not mean that those who contend for Christ will not suffer for it all the more. Jeremiah was imprisoned, and the enemies of Yahweh wanted to kill him. In Jeremiah's time, there was a false prophet, and his name was Pasher, and he was probably the last false prophet of old kingdom Judah. Well, the word Pasher, and, and, and Yahweh God plays tricks on men all the time. The, the word Pasher is the Hebrew word for freedom. And that is not a coincidence. He happened to be the last false prophet of Judah. The apostle Peter warned against the wolves who crept in among the sheep, men just like Pasher, who, when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, the name Pasher, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same he is brought in bondage. These Jews, being the servants of corruption themselves, came here preaching liberty to those who already had liberty in Christ. And when they were accepted, they were able to make slaves of us all. Yahweh God, Yahweh our God has taken us and given us freedom from tyranny so that we could paint ourselves into a corner under the illusion of liberalism. The lesson in the end is that only God can be our king and that we must keep his commandments. This is what he meant in Isaiah, where he said, I will bring them by a way which they knew not. And this is the time of Jacob's trouble. In the end, we who rebelled from, from God will have no choice but to be obedient to Christ. Yeah, I heard most of what you said there. Some of it was a little uh, garbled. But um, yeah, um, uh, there's a lot of white people who think they're Christians uh, and they believe in God. They go to church. Uh, they do all these things. But um, uh, they've, they've really been sold a bill of goods in that it, it really isn't the God of the Bible. It, it, it's more akin, if you were to understand the elements of, of Baal worship, there's more of that in churchianity today than what we read in the Bible that prohibits such things. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, race, racial matters are at the forefront. It's like most white people, they just can't imagine another human being having an innate hatred of us. But that 
is the animal motivation of non-whites that all stand under the Jewish umbrella. And likewise, God has put a reciprocal enmity of in Adam kind to oppose them. It truly is them and us. And the gulf will never be bridged with rainbows and unicorns, with universalism and myth. Negroes are quite free to pursue their dreams as they see fit in Kenya or Nigeria, but not in America. The mongrel bloodlines will never be able to accept personal liberties and responsibilities for their lives because their concept of freedom is to eliminate the white man who gave them everything they have today, biting the hand that feeds them. The great horror of Revelation 17 that sits upon many waters is explained in verse 15. Our peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And is the same woman who went whoring after strange gods in ancient Israel, who was and is the succession of beast empires, assimilating sheep with goats, and are medicated with the wine of her fornication. And today, we see the fruits of Jewish perfidy and the refined science of mind control. And that is to say the infringement of free speech. Well, you know, a lot of CI pastors seem to despise me for writing in Christ Strike and in my Revelation series that the horror of the Revelation is the children of Israel. They want to make the horror out to be the Roman church or, or, or perhaps all the churches or anything, but we ourselves. But the proof that the whore is the children of Israel is right in the language of the Revelation. In chapter 12, the woman with the 12 stars representing the tribes of Israel is taken to the desert for a certain period of nourishment. That was our people in Europe accepting the gospel of Christ. In John chapter 17, and I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 17, John is taken to the desert to see a woman and that's where the woman in chapter 12 was left, in the desert. And the woman in chapter 17 that he sees in the desert is therefore the same woman from chapter 12 that had fled to the desert. We as a people are the whore. And therefore, we can't put the responsibility off on the pope or on the church or on the churches. We all bear a part of that responsibility. So we should live up to it and seek to correct our whoredom rather than worry about the papacy or, or, the, or the other churches. Well, I agree. And uh, uh, why did uh, our ancient ancestors, the Israelites, go into Assyrian bondage? It was because they went whoring after strange gods. They, they were married to God. And he had to divorce her because of her whoredoms. And I guess there's nothing new under the sun because uh, the, the modern Israelites, are our own people, 
are likewise whoring in in the churches today. If Christ were to return today and walk in just about any uh, Judeo-Christian church, he he would call it a, an abomination because of all the whoredoms, the uh, all the bastards sitting in the pews, uh, the mixed race couples, the same sex couples. Uh, surely Sodom and Gomorrah would need an apology after what we witnessed today. You know, Bill, we can't realize any victory. We can't win the final battle. And we can't win the hearts and minds of our people without the hope of Christ. The word made flesh in no uncertain terms warns us throughout the pages of the Bible that sin in the camp will destroy us. Even that little wedge of gold from uh, Achan, that was enough to, to threaten thousands of lives. And, and indeed it did. And it was only before he stepped forward with that forbidden booty uh, that he, his family, and all that he had were killed to stay the plague. And the Jewish strategy knows this better than the gentle sheep of his pasture. The wolves roam about us freely today, not bothering to even disguise themselves. The tares cannot be more fully mature, <laughs> whereas the wheat, I, thank God, has a little bit more time to grow from a merciful God. I've said before that there, there's no coming race war. It's here and now. And by the same token, we should not be fooled by the extravagant gun-related shock extravaganzas brought to us by the national boob tube media. And uh, I wrote this uh, series in July. And at that time, the big news story was the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina. And that's all it was then, and that's all it is now is a story. Uh, it's, it's practically void of any journalistic integrity. But is it's replete with a hypnotic political agenda as ready-made as Sandy Hook and the Boston Marathon and and the big production number of 9-11. Well, well, you're right. The race war is now. It, it's the invasion of Ezekiel 38 is here. It, it may not be evident to most of these Judeo-Christians who are programmed not to see it, not to see race, to consider these people as quote-unquote immigrants. The invasion of Ezekiel 38 is here. The camp of the saints is surrounded. The race war is being fought. And we are not even noticing it as a people because it is covered by the media in small doses as crime or immigration. We are defeated and we do not even understand the battle. Well, that's right. And um, 
Um, sheeple <laughs> have an imagination for wicked racist, but they can't imagine Jews or niggers staging a false flag for ulterior motives. Is it just a coincidence that the Patriot Act and a new Department of Homeland Security was planned before 9-11 and the boogeyman terrorist charade is simply Marxist dialectics? Uh, immediately after uh, the shooting in Charleston at the um, AME, African Methodist Episcopal Church, Obama was right there at his teleprompter spouting gun control and evil racism. He's a Jew stooge for George Soros. And Obama was closely linked to uh, church figureheads as much as his Chicago mentor, Jeremiah Wright, who said, goddamn America, and he's getting his wish. But it should be noted that AME was founded, interestingly enough, in 1816 by blacks who wanted to be free from white Methodist. And had as their motto, God our Father, Christ our Redeemer, the Holy Spirit our Comforter, man our brother, end quote. But that last part was changed in 2008 to, instead of man our brother, to humankind our family. <laughs> if you think about these subtle points, the AME is a double-minded church being both racist, African racist, and universalist, humankind, at the same time. Surely they know the difference between humankind and atomkind. But they are, as part and parcel, vassals of Jewry, as much as the Jewish invention of the NAACP. However, it's another story when the genre of racial literature pervades, pervades from some quarters the sophistry of racial equality. That is not the racial message from Christ, but from the great whore of Rome, making egalitarian, egalitarianism the canon of churchianity. Christian identity uh, proceeds from every word that comes from the mouth of God, not man. If God does have a chosen people to the exclusion of all others, and it does if you read Deuteronomy 7, 6. And the Lord says he came only for this particular people. Then it behooves the white Christian to stop thinking that all people in the Bible <laughs> means universalism. Galatians 3.16 is but one passage that should settle the question of exclusivity although the Masoretic translation tries to alter the anointed to Christ, the person. Quote, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed or race. He does not say and to seeds as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, which are anointed. Now, that is a quotation from your own Christogenia New Testament. 
Well, well, there are several times in Paul's epistles where he clearly means the anointed people of God as a collective group, where he uses the term Christos or anointed. And in the context of the promises to Abraham, he must also mean as much here, because the context of Galatians chapters three and four are to a collective of people, the heirs in the plural, those who were under the law in the plural over and over again. And where he says that the immutability of the covenant in, in Genesis 3.15, that it cannot be added to or, or changed in Genesis 3.16, uh, I'm sorry, in Galatians 3.16, we have to go back to see what Paul was talking about by comparing it to the Genesis accounts of the promises to Abraham. The promises to Abraham were that in Isaac should his seed be called. So the seed cannot be Christ. The seed has to be called in Isaac. And those promises were passed down to Jacob and to all his sons. The word anointed here is in, in the context of all scripture, that interpretation fits into all the promises of God, where if we, we accept the mainstream church interpretation that the Christos of Galatians 3.16 refers to Christ alone, that actually negates all of the promises of God. That, that's the primary uh, difference. It's a, subtle, it's a subtle change, but... Um... When, when you count all of these subtle changes, uh, it, it changes the intent of Scripture. That it, it is an exclusive message, not inclusive. Absolutely. That Paul was speaking of, of the, um, the collective seed of Abraham through Jacob, as opposed to the other races sprung from Abraham, such as Ishmael and Esau, is very clear when you get down later in the epistle and see that he mentions heirs in the plural, speaking of that same collective. The heirs are plural. The heir is not Christ alone because the heirs are plural. It essentially robs our people of their identity. Yes, it does. Well, back to uh, Charleston just for a bit. Uh, you know, even if the Negroes were all shot by a white guy, just as the media says, I, for one, still would not in good conscience be remorseful for a seed that is not anointed of God and indeed was not created by God because God creates kind after kind. And Adam kind is the only man that walks the earth. The, the word man means Adam. Adam means man. There are no other Adams in the world. What we see as non-whites, the Bible calls strangers. The Hebrew word zur, or heathens. And they will eventually, as Obadiah 1.16 says, be as though they had not been. In other words, they will become extinct. Well, that's the promise of Scripture. That, that's the importance of the message of salvation to the children of Israel. 
because nobody else is going to be saved. Nobody else is going to be preserved. Nobody else has those promises. Uh, if I could return today's scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul is telling us the most clear testimony of the Godhead in office of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the white race. We have to understand that no one knows the things of God except the Holy Spirit. We can never get it from the heathen world to whom belongs bearing false witness and their power derived from lawlessness exercised for worldly advantage. The apostles were not guided by worldly principles from the spirit of unbelievers. They had received the revelation of these things from the spirit of God by discipleship. We studied to show ourselves approved to perceive what the spirit reveals. What we know comes only from the Spirit of God. God has revealed the things prepared for believers through his Spirit. It doesn't mean we all will understand the deep things of God or his spiritual mysteries, but we all will understand the basic foundations of the racial message. The spiritual things of God can only be explained to those who are spiritual who have left behind the carnal world of unbelief. Verse 13, but those things we speak are not in the teaching of the words of the wisdom of men, but in the teaching of the spirit. And we compare spiritual things to the spiritual. The free speech of Christians is freely given to us from God to dissent that which is evil, that which spoils or corrupts the spirit of man. Dissident racism, even the racism of hate, is a spiritual opposition to the pride of carnal reasoning, the rationalization or universalism. So, so spiritual, in, in that same... Um... In, in that same epistle, Paul's ultimate conclusion in that section of, of, of his epistle is actually in chapter 6, where he tells the Corinthian Christians not to be yoked to those without the faith, but to come out from among them so that we may have communion with our God. That Those people in Obadiah that you had mentioned that, that are going to be as if they had not been, Christians have to understand to separate themselves from those people and and to start now or to start as, as soon as it is humanly possible and to understand and always have that in mind that they are to be separated from those people. As soon as Babylon falls, if Christians do not separate themselves from those people, they will suffer the punishments that the Babylonian world system is going to receive from God. There are only two types of people in scripture, wheat and tares, sheep and goats, good fish and bad fish. In all of the end time prophecies, there are never any neutral third parties. 
It is indeed us versus them. And if you are not 100% with us, you are with them and against us, refusing to come out of Babylon, you will suffer its punishments. I really believe, Mark, we should probably um, conclude this program what, with your conclusion to part one of dissonant racism rather than going to part two tonight because of the technical details, what technical challenges we've suffered so far. <laughs> well, I hope the recording uh, comes out. Uh, I am glad that you, you mentioned verse 14 uh, at the get-go tonight. Uh, where the natural man receives not. He doesn't get the things of the Spirit of God because it's foolishness to him. And it says, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. The, the other um, races, one of the lessons I've received from Scripture, and, and this is why, and, and we will talk about this in, in part two of your paper, I, I believe, I have some notes on this, that the Adamic man has two natures. He has the spirit of God and he has the fleshly nature. And the Adamic man has a choice to follow one or the other. The other races, they have not the spirit of God, these non-white races. The spirit of God was only instilled to those who were born from above to our Adamic race and these people who are born from below, who are of the world, they cannot possibly follow the spirit of God because they don't have that spirit within them. They cannot possibly follow the true spiritual nature because they are not the children of God. They can only follow the fleshly nature. I know that these Eastern mystics and, and these swamis and these karate masters that they may put a spiritual appearance to their fleshly pursuits, but all of their pursuits, if you really examine their true religious beliefs in their Eastern mysticism, all of their pursuits are very fleshly. They're not spiritual at all. The law of God is spiritual. And if you want to be spiritual, you better be following the law of God or you're not walking in the spirit of God. Right. Well, uh, if you want to conclude the program tonight, I was going to conclude with First um, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, and this is in the Christogenia New Testament. And it says, But we being of day should be sober, putting on a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, an expectation of deliverance because Yahweh has not ordained us for wrath, but for acquisition of preservation through our Prince Yeshua Christ, who died on behalf of us, that whether we would be alert or we would sleep, together with him we would live. On which account, you encourage one another and you build up one another even just as you do. And uh, I think the important thing is there that talks to our race is that 
we are not ordained for wrath. And my hope for this program tonight is that I hope that it, it encourages one another, that people can listen to it and, and have the, the voice of a, a dissident racist to one another and that it be encouraging. Um, because this racial confusion and, and chaos that generates Babylon's eventual fall is not designed to destroy us, but to make us free. So on that note, uh, we can close on the optimism that racism is what preserves our race. Thank you, Bill. Absolutely. Racism is the willingness to defend God's creation. Anti-racist attitudes are taught by those who want to destroy God's creation. We should love God's creation as we were created and not seek to bastardize it like the enemies of God have always done. And, and I'm sure we will talk about that some more next week when we um, have you back here. I pray for Dissident Racism Part 2. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Mark, thank you very much for being here. I apologize for the technical difficulties. I believe they are not caused. The people having a hard time listening to our streams, the problem does not lie with the Christogenia servers, but with the connections between our location here in rural northwest Louisiana and the Christogenia servers. So it's it's our transmission to the servers that, that's probably the weak link and not the servers themselves. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel. And good night.